Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of The Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist and I study the brain and the mind. Now, how are they connected to each other? Uh, aren't they? I mean, it is an age old problem about how mind and brain are connected to each other. I mean, you think something and then your brain does something that allows you to talk. Um, and then something comes into your brain and your mind picks it up. So there's a lot of different ideas about how mind and brain interact with each other. And one place that you can get an opinion about it is in my new book, connecting, which is called Meaningful Coincidences. Uh, how and why synchronicity and serendipity happen. And you can, you can pre-order it, uh, one of the links uh, below if you're on Zoom. Uh, and you can find a chapter that tries to talk about the psychosphere and particularly how mind and brain interact with each other. And the bottom line of it is that brain and mind may be the, of the same kinds of qualities, but different densities. Now, let that one sink into your mind for a little bit. Part of what I'm doing with Connecting with Coincidence and this book, Meaningful Coincidence, is to try to encourage you, and many of you are, uh, who are our regular listeners and viewers, to pay attention to meaningful coincidences. They're happening quite often in everyday life, and they can be useful and how you use them and how to explain them is part of the fun of it. And that's part of what the, the Coincidence Project, which I founded and which is currently, currently just made it into being a, a nonprofit in the state of Virginia, is trying to be able to encourage people to do, tell each other your stories as our guest today, Christine Qualley will do with, uh, with me today. So here's my story. Um, dancing and I'll, I'll title it dancing into the movies one day at dance and i go to dance uh twice a week when i can which is as often as they have them uh i was involved with a medical incidence uh, medical incidence uh is a coincidence about coincidences uh, it, they're kind of like fun if you like to be meta and some people call me a metaphysician because i do a lot of meta meta uh, meta thinking uh, this coincidence uh, involved uh, a time when I just finished uh, a sentence waiting around uh, outside in the office uh, while people were dancing. I was talking to a new dance friend named Elle, and she was telling me a story that uh, was quite remarkable for her. It was a coincidence, she was telling me. Uh, her yoga teacher had made a, a statement about something, but didn't remember, but, but it was a statement about a poem um, and 
Elle wanted to know how the poem ended before she walked into the yoga teacher's class. And the yoga teacher told Elle the end of that poem. Well, Elle want, told me that story. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. But she was surprised when I provided that last line of the poem. Because the day before, uh, someone at a local food store had told me about a friend of hers who had this coincidence happen to her. It turned out that Elle and this guy were friends with each other. But I didn't know that. So this coincidence about a coincidence um, was fascinating to me. And it just happened that there was a person from out of town, a filmmaker who was coming to my house uh, in two days from then. And um, I needed somebody to help me do the movie. And it was going to be a movie about coincidences. So I asked Elle to come with me. And now that conversation, the story I just started, started to tell you is on film uh, and also with Elle and me dancing, which she's a great dancer. I really enjoyed dancing with her. So these are on this film that I'm glad to be able to say is in progress and is being made by our guest. Our guest is Chris, Christine Clawley. Uh, Christine is a therapist in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and is, uh, has had a, a lot of experiences that have brought her to uh, underst her understanding of coincidences. Uh, part, of, part of that understanding has come through experiences that are quite remarkable. And she, I believe, will tell us uh, one of her stories, which is recorded in my book. Um, and that's, that story comes after a time uh, when she was overcoming a life-threatening disease, necrotizing fasciitis in 2008. Uh, from this journey, she embarked on her own journey of healing and self-understanding through exploring various modalities and techniques and wishes to share what she learned with others and assist in their healing. Probably one of the most important takeaways from Christine's experience is that illness is not only something that slams you and takes you out of the flow of life, but it's something that when you push yourself through it and believe that there's something going to happen that's positive, you transform your whole body, your energy, your energy body, your mind, your brain transform in a possibly positive way. And if that's what's happened to Christine. Prior to contracting this illness, she received many dreams and messages that something was out of balance within her life and body and eventually foreshadowed this illness. She spent about a month suspended in medically induced, medically induced coma during which time she had many dreams and boy, she into dreams that mirrored what happened to her on a physical emotional and spiritual level. Christine, thank you for coming on to the show. It's great to see you again. So good to see you, Dr. Coincidence, and thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome, and you know how much I like being called Dr. Coincidence. Um, but we have to see your movie. What's the name, what's the name of your movie going to be? 
So, uh, so far, this may change. It's called the Tapestry of Time, and the production company is called Circling Hawk Productions. And we have been working on this for almost six years. So it is taking a while, but, and it's challenged my patience, but things are unfolding in just the right way. And uh, we hope to have it out within the next uh, six months to a year. Oh, so, it's getting yeah, there. Yeah, it's getting, getting there. there. It's getting mm-hmm. there. Well, I have personal reasons for looking forward to seeing it, but uh, you interviewed a bunch of people that I know on this, on this thing. That's how you got to me. So tell us the name of it again, and then we're going to ask you a coincidence story. Sure. It's called The Tapestry of Time. The Tapestry of Time. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of a dance. Uh, tap, 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 tapping, tapping, tapestry, tapestry, time, time, tapestry. It's got a rhythm to it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it so, or seeing it. So cool. tell us a coincidence story. Ah, okay. Well, I will start with the one uh, that's featured in your book. And the reason I focus on uh, some, some synchronicities like these is because many times people might dismiss a synchronicity. Well, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, it's not important. Why pay attention? And this and some other powerful stories that I've collected over the years really demonstrate the life-saving potential of synchronicities and paying attention, you know, not dismissing that feeling, that intuition, uh, but really being alert and awake to the universe around you. So um, this story uh, involves my father. So someone I love very dearly and who's been a big, big influence on my life and who I am today. And it starts with, I was uh, visiting a good friend in California, um, had just kind of wrapped up a wonderful trip. Uh, We were spending some time at the bookstore before I was going to get on a flight going back to Denver. And I just felt this book kind of calling to me, if you will. I know this may sound odd, but it just felt like there was a glow around this book And uh, I I have a habit of collecting a lot of books. So I'm kind of rational, logical minds going, you know, you don't need any more, just, you know, resist the urge. But I couldn't. I listened to that gut feeling, that intuition. I grabbed the book and opened it up on the plane and was just, you know, reading, 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 really into it. I love reading on planes because it's really the time you have uninterrupted Uh, to just concentrate, which is becoming harder and harder these days. So I'm reading the book and I get to this chapter and I just have this internal uh, kind of voice or internal feeling, just close the book and sit with the information you just read in this chapter. And in this book, the author was talking about a life-saving synchronicity he had been having some sensations of having burning lungs and his wife, you know, he, he was dismissing it, you know, as something pretty minor, uh, but then mentioned it to his wife and his wife had just made this comment or noticed that uh, on the box of cereal that they had, it was saying burning lungs can be a symptom of a heart attack. Now that's not a very well-known indication of heart attack. So that that is a bit 
um, you know, unusual. And so the, this ended up saving his life. He ended up having, you know, to, to go to the hospital. Um, and it was absolutely life-saving. And he was reflecting on this. And my father was picking me up from the airport. I had just read this book. And then, you know, uh, you know, he's picking me up uh, and he's complaining about my lungs are burning. You know, my lungs are burning. Um, he's not looking very well. And I can see that he's struggling, but doesn't want, um, you know, like most men, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm fine. He did ask me to drive, uh, but I, I had told him, you know, I, it's so odd because I just read this about 45 minutes ago that burning lungs can mean you're having a heart attack. Oh no, it's just the pollution in Denver. You know, they're from Colorado Springs, um, which is really beautiful and has a little less pollution. So he was a bit paranoid about that. And I uh, overrid his wishes to just take him home to Colorado Springs and, you know, followed my, my gut intuition and took him to the closest ER just to get him checked out. And um, oftentimes, as, you know, this can happen when someone's going to an ER, may not be taken seriously at first, but they ran some tests and, you know, it was very life-threatening. They found out um, one of his arteries was 99% clogged. They had to do surgery, you know, very quickly the same day. And that was life-saving because had he, had we continued and driven to the Springs, I'm not sure that he would have made that uh, or made it. So that, that was really profound. And, and, you know, you look at how we normally think of the world in the terms of causality, you know, A causes B. Um, but in this situation, it, it's like the right information just fell into my lap. And if I had not had that information, I would have probably listened to my father. He's my father. He's very stubborn, you know, and I might seem like I'm overreacting. But I listened to it. And without that information, the outcome could have been very different. Yeah. You know, when I hear the story again, uh, it's a meta coincidence because the first coincidence led to the second coincidence. And uh, my favorite versions are where the first coincidence is a comment on the second coincidence. And that's what you just had. So it's there's there's just the fun of being meta that i that i do this with but it's still uh a meta thing so i think there's something to this meta things uh a medical incidence thing but i don't know what it is yet and i i have other examples in, in the meaningful coincidence book but that's less um, important now because your story uh in the in my book is the first is the first one of of us of, of six puzzling coincidences the last one is you may remember look up in the sky the sun and the moon 93 million miles apart but from where we stand they look to be exactly the same size what a coincidence what a coincidence that's the last one that's a hard one to that's a hard one to figure out that one um but yours, how do you understand what happened in, in this with you and your father? What's the way you think about it now? You know, the, since um, 
I've had these experiences and my experiences have really gone back to, you know, 2007, 2008, where I was having synchronicities and dreams foreshadowing my illness. And so I have been, this is very personal for me as it is for you. And I've been on a mission to really understand what, what is this about? You know, obviously there's something more uh, to this, um, you know, mechanical universe that we're kind of being taught and scientific materialism is not an adequate, uh, you know, explanation. So just like you, uh, Bernard, Bernie, it's, um, we can feel there's something more when we pay attention, when we engage the universe, we get feedback. And so I've, uh, I've loved doing this documentary because I get to collect stories and interview experts in the field, you know, uh, doctors, psychiatrists, researchers, artists. Um, and it's, it's unbelievable. You know, I do believe we are in a huge paradigm, paradigm shift and experiencing some kind of awakening here where we're realizing um, the way we've been living um, and these values no longer work. And in fact, there may have been negative uh, distressing consequences from being so focused on the left brain, uh, you know, rational, logical, uh, sequential cause and effect way of looking at the world. And the more intuitive, emotional, feeling, meaningful way um, of, of interacting, being in the world, um, it's, it's, it's a call to come back to that. that that's what I see. And for some of us, um, it takes a close brush with death or maybe losing a family member to reconsider these values. So that, that was really, you know, an initiation and awakening for me to realize, wow, you know, I really don't know much about the world and these, these experiences are happening. I'm having precognitive dreams or kind of synchronicities or waking visions, you can even call them. And they actually correspond to reality. And more than that, they can actually be incredibly helpful, life-saving, and they bring magic back to life. So it's really important for me. And I'm still, you know, I still haven't made up my mind about, you know, one theory, but I think um, that that's why the video will be so interesting because there's all these experts presenting their own uh, different theories and, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Re-enchanting the world. Uh, and you're helping do that. And the funny thing is it's, we call it enchantment because we don't really understand it because it seems magical, but it's still, it's got rules and laws and, and, and ways of understanding it. And that's why I'm in it. I've, I, I've grown up saying, they ain't telling me something. <laughs> and I like to say I went to some of America's finest schools like Swarthmore College, Yale Medical School and Stanford, and they didn't tell me something. <laughs> I go, I would, there was something else going on around here that they didn't tell me in class. And you got to do it this other way. And you're doing it and going around talking to people about I talk with people about the different ideas. I, I, I don't know if you need caution about this, but I'd suggest that uh, it's not one cause at all with uh, uh, coincidence. That, that's, that's, uh, that's 
a problem to when you when I hear you say that, uh, even though I don't think you think that. But mm -hmm. it's important to be able to recognize that probability plays a role. So there's there's a chance element to all coincidences that have, so they have a probability. But it's like saying um, it's like okay, everybody has a mother, so the mother is a cause of all your problems. I don't think so. My mother, had, I don't think so, mom. I, you had a good impact on me, but there's other things going on around. How about your husband? And then there's my brother. So, but there's other things going on too. If it's not one cause, but probability plays a role and mystery, which people call God and universe or universe and other things or well, there's other names for it, but all one, one, a uni, unified field, which I can talk a bit about. But there, there are, are, we don't know. It's like the way the theory of light was before we got the, our current understanding. A lot of different possibilities. For light, there's one way of thinking about them. For coincidences, it's still multiply factorial, multiple influences, which include mystery, probability, and Christine has something to do with making them happen. Just yeah, you little old you. Who would have thought of that? It ain't something else, but you're playing a role in it too. So we might get to some of that. So you want to tell us? You want? I have. Yeah, I try to go through what I think happened with your father, but we we can leave that you father your father and you. But and it has to do with love and connection in the psychosphere, uh, so that you could feel what he was feeling at a distance and found the thing that you needed to find that would help him without knowing consciously, but intuitively you could pick it up. And that's the way, that's a simple way of thinking about it for me. And love has a lot to do with how these things happen, but not the only thing. So you want to tell us some more coincidence stories. And I don't know if you want to do that guy you're doing dreaming thing with, Earl, or you want to do Donna Darko, or you tell me. Sure. Um, uh, let me think where to start. So there was something more I was going to say. Oh, yes. I just wanted to respond to what you said. I love okay. what you said uh, about not, they're not being one cause. I think you're really right about that. And the tendency is to maybe oversimplify or take literally maybe a synchronicity or these experiences. And there is something really symbolic about, you know, uh, these experiences, synchronicities, dreams, and it's uh, challenging us to think about reality in a bigger way. And one thing um, that I've been really excited about is a, a collaborative project where uh, I, I think this uh, individual shall remain anonymous, uh, but we are co-collaborating and creating some of these synchronicities and markers. And so um, Eric Wargo actually features uh, a lot of her work in precognitive dream work and the long self. And I'm a huge fan of Eric Wargo's work and uh, some of his theories about time. So I think there is something related to time uh, in these uh, experiences. And um, he's even coined a term called calendrical resonance, which is, um, and I challenge the audience or even you, uh, Bernie, to think about important dates 
So this might be, you know, birthdays. Um, for me, my, my near-death experience, you know, every year I celebrate the day I, I should have died and the day, you know, I left the hospital um, because those are key dates for me. And so with this individual, um, when she initially reached out to me, she sent me a, a date that she had a very big dream that symbolizes her life work. And in that dream, there were direct connections to me, very, very personal things that she would never have known about, things I don't speak openly about. And that really began our collaboration. And so for the past year, we've been going through dates, we've been kind of, uh, you know, experimenting with, you know, noting different things that happen, things that are unusual, emailing them back and forth with one another. And the results have just been amazing. And on one more, I can provide a few examples of this without giving too much away. Um, but one thing we found out through our collaboration, and again, we're, we're strangers, we live in different states, uh, but she ended up, um, she attended CU Boulder, which is where I got my undergraduate degree, uh, 20 years earlier than I did. And um, she ended up, living right next door to the home that I lived in when I had my my illness, I almost died, very profound experience. And through our analysis of the dreams, she was having dreams about me. Um, not only that experience, but who I become in the future. I'm a counselor now. Um, I was dreaming about past events that occurred in that home, fire that occurred 20 years prior that I had no idea about. And so there does seem to be maybe something with uh, not only going forward and backward in time, but perhaps uh, proximity, location. And then as you so eloquently mentioned before, um, you know, having that, that kind of care, that kind of love and, and connection that transcends space and time. So even though, again, when we met, we were strangers, you know, there was a feeling and it's indicated in the dreams just how important this collaboration is and, and will be in our lives. Um, so that's one example. I'd like to give one more example involving my husband. Oh, wait, uh, a, wait, wait a oh, second. Oh, sure. Wait a second. We, we call what uh, you just described as far out and groovy. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like uh, deserves that uh, 1960s label. Um, it, it there's there's uh, a, there's a lot to that, and we we won't be able to go through it all. But Eric, I, inter I interviewed Eric, uh, uh, and he, he's published on my um, website uh, uh, two two weeks ago. Uh, so you could you could see my Eric and, and and I just doing our thing, and then another guy um, uh, whose whose name is Adam Curry. Um, who's very precognitive kind of guy too. And we did a precognitive experiment uh, live and it seemed like something happened. And now, now you're mentioning Eric Wargo. Wargo so the in-between was uh, 
a person uh, called Natasha. I got to play Boris for a little while, um, <laughs> which is a very different uh, fractal thing, mirrors and stuff, but that's a different thing. But now it's you. So there, there's a there's a precognitive Eric Wargo thing going on around here. I mean, this in, in just what's going on with, with this podcast. Okay, so that's just a little bit of an observation. But the I. The idea that she is picking up you, uh, that she's got your, she's got your information <laughs> without you telling her. Uh, and vice versa, it goes both and vi- ways. And versa, vice uh, if you got, the, you got it going <laughs> other, other direction. Um, uh, that's, um, that's, it's, I've got I've got a psychoanalyst who um, wrote a book with his patient because the patient was writing a novel that turned out to feature the life of the psychoanalyst. <laughs> that's that's uh, not unlike what you just described, but they're in the same room together. It's not like they're but they're a different form of proximity because you had your almost dead thing next to her house uh so there's a proximity thing uh that uh, that one of our coincidence colleagues uh, calls it uh propinquity there's something about being close to somebody uh by accident that makes something happen and these are more dramatic examples of them the, 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 that I just love that the two of you can connect like this I mean to have a relationship like this is something that uh, is a lot of like heartwarming, intellectually stimulating, mind expanding. It's so much a wonderful example of a love that is not in the usual way we think about it. it it's a loving relationship. And I don't know, it's, I, I, I'd like to have more of those because that, it's such a beautiful experience for both of you. Absolutely. And to be able to, you know, suspend judgment and just, um, you know, accept these experiences. Still, you know, we're, we're trying to understand how this happens and, and discovering it. But again, we, um, we have not even met in person yet. And she lived there in that house right next to mine 20 years before my experience. But she had some of the most uh, important life-defining moments for her happen in that house. And so did I. Um, so it, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I, I've, I've, it's helped with my, you know, personal growth and development and it's only given me more confidence um, what you're to doing. pursue this. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like to, I, I believe in these, uh, these, these places that have special vibrations in them and around mm-hmm. them. That uh, in the psychosphere, it's not just all a bland thing, but there are places like Sedona, for example, which have gotten overrun mm-hmm. now, but uh, it's too bad. And Charlottesville has some of it where I am. Um, San Francisco in the late 60s really had, had it. And it may be a shifting thing, but it makes me think that that house, those two houses were in a vortex of some kind. Uh, 
there's something else going on around there. It makes me think that we don't know it, but it's it's important to recognize that the, our mental atmosphere is not just a bland thing. There's all kinds of stuff. It's like yes. the ocean. Yes. Kind, like the ocean. There's all kinds of stuff going on around there, and it keeps changing. But this is you had something. Um, that's what it looks like to my intuitive Piscean mind that uh, there's something else going around around that house. Just adding to what you've said as well, I just want to acknowledge uh, indigenous peoples all over the world have always had this knowledge, this wisdom, um, this understanding of, of, you know, all things being related and connected and this idea that we participate with, you know, Mother Nature and we're, we're related to all the animals and creatures and beings and, you know, this... Um, their view of reality, I realize I'm making broad generalizations, but overall it was a universe that was very much alive. Again, there's a sense of empowerment, of uh, relating, and the, the universe um, that, you know, the Western mind has created with, you know, Descartes and this mind-body split is often, you know, I mean, look at the systems we live in. We treat each other um, like objects. We treat the earth as an object to be exploited, resources. Um, so this will tie in with the next synchronicity I'm going to talk about, which happened last week. And I think, you know, I've been really touched with, or not touched, alarmed by all of these shootings. And this has been such a difficult time for young people to live through. I'm a therapist in private practice and I have, you know, children, teenagers, young adults, and to, to bear witness and to really be present to how, you know, the pandemic has impacted them, the political division, and then these shootings. Um, I think, again, this is a call to attend to these um, kind of spiritual wounding that we have in this culture. And, uh, I'll just I'll just launch in yeah with this uh, last synchronicity before before you mm -hmm. go into that um, uh, I I want to echo and maybe extend what you were just uh, describing is that uh, I I believe that um, meaningful coincidences are a way of being able to help us heal not by us I mean not just individually or groups but also what I call the collective human organism, that we can't, we are a collective human organism if we recognize it and we are connected, but it's not just enough to say we're all connected. We know, need to know how we're connected. We need to know how, what our particular role is in the whole thing, which means being able to have our thing like a cell in a body do that something, but also relate to the whole organism, which is the collective human organism. And I'm trying to work on defining a, a, a collective human self-observer so that the, this collective human organism has a self-observer the same way that you do and I do. And that coincidences activate the ability to look at yourself. And the, 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 it started for me with the, the pandemic uh, being like a, an arc, like a reflection of the human tendency to destroy its habitat. That's what the virus is doing, is destroying its habitat, which is human beings. And we are doing that 
to planet Earth. And so there was an, uh, a way that collective human organism could say, hey, that's happiness. What a coincidence. Maybe it has something to do with me. And trying to be able to develop uh, a vision collectively of what we need to do about it, not these piecemeal things, but uh, bring them all together in a way that has a vision, because we are in a battle for human imagination. I love that. Love what you just said. I could not have said it better. Carl Jung would have absolutely loved what you just said. That That is, you know, just to sum it up, his theory of, um, there's a beautiful book called The Earth Has a Soul. And Carl Jung was very, very concerned about the West and the, um, the destruction of, of the, you know, natural um, relationship, yeah, that we have to nature, this over-reliance on technology, and we really are seeing, again, the consequences of that. I did want to bring up this quote, um, this quote from yeah, Jung, our intellect has created a new world that dominates nature and has populated it with monstrous machines. The latter are so indubitable, use, indubitably useful and so much needed that we cannot even see a possibility of getting rid of them uh, or of our odious subservience to them. Man is bound to follow the exploits of his scientific and inventive mind and to admire himself for his splendid achievements. But at the same time, he cannot help admitting his genius shows an uncanny tendency to invent things that become more and more dangerous. In spite of our proud domination of nature, we are still her victims as much as ever and have not even learned to control our own nature, which slowly and inevitably courts disaster. So Jung uh, really talked about the absolute importance of dealing with the shadow, the shadow, um, which is all that, that repressed uh, fears, anger, uh, anxiety, um, all those things we're unwilling to look at within ourselves, we dangerously project onto the other and we create the enemy um, through this split between the persona and the shadow. And that happens with nations, with societies, it happens individually. And this is about, you know, healing and, and um, looking at those painful truths. So well, if I ever get to it, which I hope after all this kind of coincidence project stuff and this book that's coming out and another book I had in my mind that about it's about my coincidence diary is like starting in when I was in six, when I was nine. And it's all kinds of coincidences from then on. Uh, I got them written down. I like to get them out and get that out there. But I'm starting to do one, a psychotherapy for the collective human organism. And you are part of it you understand it. What you just did was like the diagnosis. Now, Jung was like a more of a theoretician. I'm like a football player. I, I like to get something happening. And, and so I'm a pragmatician. He's a theoretician. So I want to, I want to get the psychotherapy thing happening for, for the collective human organism. Yes. Yes. Okay. That was like a, a wonderful uh, uh, segue to, to what you were about to say with your husband. Okay. Yeah, well, actually, I'm going to, since we're a bit time limited, um, I'm going to set that one aside. If we have time later, I'll, I'll revisit that one. But I'd like to talk about the synchronicity that happened last weekend. And um, it was the first concert, you know, we've attended in a, in a long time. 
last weekend, um, an old 80 band, 80s band that I loved from my childhood, Tears for Fears. I'm not sure. If oh, you're yeah. Yeah, familiar. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a wonderful yeah. show. I haven't heard one of their songs in a long time. They're- they actually have a new album out and it. it was pretty amazing. They did a really good job but you know there's that song everyone wants to rule the world oh yeah yeah, yeah. Happy... oh yeah 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 yes <laughs> yeah. yeah and that that's such a carefree you know kind of universal song everybody is the center of their own world everybody you know does want to expand everybody and... wants to rule the world <laughs> but there's another song um a very kind of you know mel- well the lyrics are melancholy but the the sound, the music is upbeat. It's called Mad World. I don't know if you've heard this song. And it was later used in the cult classic film, Donnie Darko. It Aha. was re- redone. Aha. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the artist, but there was another artist who redid a version of that song that is profoundly touching and honors the the lyrics and, and humility and um uh, just the, the depth of feeling in that song. So that song came on, you know, this uh, Mad World song, incredible lyrics. I encourage everyone to look it up. Um, and I was just reflecting on the mass shootings. I was reflecting on um, the culture, the greater culture that we live in, the culture in the school systems, Um you know, there had just been that awful shooting in Texas, and it's so easy to just rush to, to judge someone. It's such a horrific thing. But as a therapist um, and someone interested in t- storytelling, we have to consider that we're only looking at that person, you know, from a small slice in time. And what would their life look like if we were to expand it out? What did this individual go through? Um, you know, what kind of bullying, abuses, um, other things that that may have led him to take these actions, you know, and of course, I'm not condoning or excusing, but I'm saying this issue is so much deeper. It's so much more complicated than, um, you know, simplifying it uh, to just, you know, this or that. So anyhow, I was reflecting as this song, um, you know, was being played and then you know we came back home and the next day I sat down at the computer I was doing some video editing for my documentary <laughs> the tapestry of time and I just happened to pull up uh you know one random interview I wasn't thinking about it at all and began listening to the whole interview again marking off you know key points that I wanted to bring in and this interview I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan Zapp he's a uh, researcher, author, who's also very interested in Jungian psychology. And I'm watching this interview. The first thing he mentions is, I just watched Donnie Darko. I just had all these synchronicities. And I watched Donnie Darko because Anthony Peake, another synchronicity author, had recommended this. So the whole um, interview uh, reference Donnie Darko or again this interplay between light and dark um, shadow the the collective shadow that we have and um, you know I thought wow that's really interesting (laughs) you know Uh, very very interesting um, that I just happened to pick this so you know you could explain that away maybe subconsciously I, I remembered you know that this interview had 
Donnie Darko in it. But later in the evening, I take a drive down to Target. I park my car and I look at the car in front of me and it is the rabbit, the scary <laughs> rabbit from Donnie Darko. And that's not a common symbol, you know, that people are out sporting in the world. So Bernie, I don't know if you have a picture of this even that you want to share. I think I sent it to you. There he is. So actual cropped photo of the rabbit from Donnie Darko, but, you know, very um, specific. So again, when you have that many synchronicities all at once, and then, you know, there's no explanation. For can, you, can you see the rabbit? Yes, yes, I can. You can even expand it uh, if possible or, or not. Let's, let's see how um, I expand this. Um... I don't know how to expand. Let's see. Maybe it'll go next over. to the Xbox. Uh, there's like a bigger window square. That's okay. Up at the top, there's minimize and then expand. So there's that minus. Keep going up. Yeah. Up, I can't. And I... then to the left, like uh, the. Oh. Okay. There we go. Well, it's not got, as big as it could be, but it's there. Well, I can, I can, I can, uh, <laughs> I can uh, get it bigger. Oh, perfect. Okay. Oh, look so at now, that rabbit. I mean, that's unique. Okay. It's a unique feature of that movie. And for anyone who's a fan of the movie, and I, I am, even though it had been a while since I've seen it, it's, un, you know, it's recognizable. You know, there's no kind of mixing it up. And um, so I, what did I do? I paid attention and I said to my partner, okay, we've got to watch this movie tonight. Um, <laughs> so we did, and I was really reflecting. So this is something, you know, I want to read from the film. Um, there were, every time you watch a film, there's always something new that you catch, or maybe maybe you've changed a little bit or things have happened in the world. But this time when I watched the film, it had so much more meaning. Um, and given the climate in these schools, I think this film is really speaking to how our system and you know many of the, the people who are trying to offer solutions in the world right now are, are failing you know, this younger generation. This younger generation has a set of problems that is totally different from what your generation or my generation yeah. uh, had to go through or deal with. You know, there's the technology, the 24-7, you know, connectivity, the online bullying, um, the pandemic, the increased hostility, competition, the wealth inequality. I mean, there there's so many things. And the a big theme within this film is, you know, about this desire to just oversimplify the problem, um, to, you know, not be willing to, this tendency to be in denial or to not face the more difficult things in life, like death. You know, this movie follows a young person who knows he's going to, to die or who's having these visitations from this rabbit character that he's entangled with. 
he he's getting information from the future from this other timeline dimension reality not quite making sense of it um, maybe until it happens and that's often how a precognitive experience um, feels for me at least i may have an intuition that something's about to happen I may have a very specific dream, but every time it happens, it's always a shocking experience for me. And it, it does bring the feeling up that maybe we aren't in control to some degree. Maybe maybe there is kind of a grander, larger design that I think you might have been alluding to here. And um, there was something, one quote from the uh, movie that I, I just wanted to bring up. So Don, uh, Donnie and his, his girlfriend, Gretchen, who are connected through con difficult confrontations with life and trauma, I'll say. And they did this presentation. It was a, a science project about this idea that, you know, an infant, while it's sleeping or afraid, you can put glasses on the infants that will give these positive images of beaches, sunset to soothe the infant. And so they're putting forth this idea. They have good intentions. There we go again. And the science teacher responds, did you stop and think that maybe the infants need darkness? So again, this idea that, that darkness, um, suffering, uh, chaos, this is a part of life that, that is difficult you know, to, to confront. And we live in a society that values, um, you know, again, light, uh, consciousness, um, rationality, uh, dominating nature. We like to feel like we're in control of things. But the more we try to control, the more we try to um, oversimplify things or reject that pain, reject the shadow, the bigger it's going to be, the larger it's going to try to get your attention. And so, you know, as a therapist, I work with dreams, I work with nightmares. And, and nightmares, you know, we often look at them as a negative thing, but it's really positive because it's your subconscious trying to get your attention. So it's your soul or the, that deeper, wiser part of yourself saying, hey, you're not, you're not looking, you know, you need to, you need to reconcile this, you need to deal with this. And so, you know, in this modern era of civilization, you know, we want, we like to categorize things. We want to feel like, you know, uh, we're going to live forever. We live life in denial of death. Um, and we imagine that this continued growth and expansion can just go on and on. But we are a society that is afraid of death. And I do believe that the pandemic could have been an incredible, and I think for some people it was an incredible spiritual opportunity to really reflect on one's own mortality, how we live life, what our values are. And collectively, this could be extremely powerful in shifting away from a very, you know, kind of more superficial, materialistic, um, greedy society to a society that is more um, balanced, I guess I'll say. So it's a battle going on now, Christine, because of the forces of light which is really the force of darkness uh taking over uh politically uh especially in the united states um where the idea is me 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 uh, i haven't heard you mention narcissism uh, oh love it uh, yes I, I, in what you're describing kids have to deal with 
uh, social media has really made uh, people like me think I'm so wonderful because I get to watch myself do this. Hey, look at me! I, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the movies now. I'm on TV. You know, you get, you get to do that, and you be think you're wonderful because you're got your headphones on and somebody's looking at you, even if it's only three people. It's like, it's like you can see yourself. The the person Natasha that I mentioned um, wrote this book about uh, called the Portrait of a Mirror, and and it's so much about reflections and narcissism and it's endemic in this country and how it happens, and that Narcissus with looking in his in his pond and love, falling in love with himself is now transformed to a guy that can take the pond with him and look at himself any place. So people fall in love with their own image with social media. So that's another variable that's so important. Uh, and if, if there's so much passivity and narcissism running around out there where it's just all about me. And that, the kids are being infected by that, I should think, as well. Yes, but again, I think there will be a correction because even if you look at a child developing, children think, you know, they're the center of the world, that it takes time to really realize, oh, if I do that, that hurts this person or this animal has feelings, you know, this may be a stage of development for human beings to expand their awareness and empathy is key. You know, empathy is everything. When I had my near-death experience, you know, the boundaries between self and other were dissolved. And I was so, you know, so much more sensitive to my own pain, to others' pain. So when we take that time to reflect, and I do think reflection is key with having synchronicities or precognitive experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. Or dreams. And so when we take that time to be in the dark or sit with our own thoughts, look inside, you know, it can be frightening and scary. It can feel like we're even going to die. But there's, um, it's like Jung's Dark Night of the Soul. There's, or Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. There's wisdom to be gained from going through that process. You know, many cultures had um, vision quests or these kind of rituals that that helped, helped young people really move into to adulthood with that mature um, perspective. And I think, you know, yeah, the, the leadership, um, the structure of, of society or economic system, it reflects where we're at on a mature level collectively. And so maybe we are going through a painful transition. And I have to be hopeful. And I am hopeful because there's so many, you know, incredible people in the world. You're, you're doing incredible work. Thank you. Um, these young, young people are, are really different. I think um, it's hard for many of us older folks to really understand how different the world is for them. But growing up with technology, I mean, you see babies sometimes using iPads and interacting with it. So something is happening here. Um, and there will be, I think, kind of a correction, uh, you know, because we live in a world with consequences. You know, there, there's always, yeah. What do you think about the gap I see? between what you just said which is so very true there's a, there's a lot to be gained from examining the shadow among other things 
But in order to do that, as you said, you've got to be able to do something called self-reflection, or I call activating your self-observer. Mm, this does not appear to be a common trait among many people. They are programmed. When I look at people, sometimes they're like puppets on the string of cultural demands or, or models in the culture. They follow what other people are doing. Um, the imitative nature of desire, uh, which you desire what other people are, are doing, uh, mm -hmm. what they're looking for, uh, which has some value to it if you're getting the right, they're doing the right thing. But you're, as a, you're talked like a therapist who has people come in ready to start thinking about themselves. Yes. That's what you just sounded like. And being, Good point. And, and being, being, as, being as I run around in the world uh, sometimes uh, and dance is one place where I run into, it ain't the same as running around with other therapists or even in academics where people had a certain behavior, even though some of it was very self-centered. And they still were willing to look at themselves. But what, what's out there are people who are just doing what their robotic self and what culture is puppeteering them to do. So how do we get them to activate their self-observers? That is a great question. And I just gave a lecture on the mental um, health implications of techno increased technology use. And um, there's so many good resources out there. There's Nicholas Carr, he's an amazing author. He's written books called um, The Shallows, The Glass Cage. Uh, there's wonderful documentaries out there. But these, this is a, a word of caution out there to your listeners, um, there may be false synchronicities through the internet because of the algorithms. Yes, because yes, yes, of yes. Filter bubbles, mm -hmm. which involves, you know, the confirmation biases. We seek out information that we already have or we already believe. So it creates this feedback loop and it begins to isolate and in insulate the individual more and more. Mm -hmm. We're becoming less patient. Um, we're all about like instant gratification. We're becoming more shallow. We're losing our social skills. Um, Nicholas Carr even talks about the uh, amount, the diversity in terms of language, the subtlety and mood. We're losing that. More and more young people are communicating just like via text message or messenger. And you can't see someone's emotional expression. You can't, you know, get that sense of empathy as much. Um, and another point I want to make is it's a lot easier to, you know, say something mean or insult someone when you have the, when you're doing it from the safety of your home or when you don't see their um, immediate feedback and expression. So I think, you know, that's another reason why we are so polarized, not only because of the algorithms and that the news and media and Facebook um, are profiting off of keeping us in emotions like anger, fear, because that keeps you going back, that keeps you engaging in, in the, the platform. Um, but it also, uh, again, stops us from just talking with one another. You know, I was talking with one of my elders who, who's been a spiritual mentor for me, 
And I asked him, have you ever seen it so divided before, you know, in the country? So, so much anger and hostility. And he said, no, I've never seen it like this. So something is happening in the world. And I think it requires us to disengage a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I'm seeing the same things you do. I walk around in my neighbor or, you know, in the public spaces, even in the hospital where I, I work at times. People are not even looking up. They're just looking at their phones. No one's looking at each other. No one's saying hi or acknowledging you exist. It's just, you know, we're, we are letting the devices use and exploit us. We're letting our, our personal data being mined. We are being commodified um, in a very scary and kind of dangerous way. And again, it's, it's about balance. So I think there will be a correction. I think you know, maybe more and more people will disengage. I think, you know, there's a desire to come back to the simple things in life. And again, reflecting on these big issues, reflecting on death, mortality, um, you know, I, I practice this in my own life. After going through near-death experience, I live each day just thanking, thanking you for you know, thanking the universe for my life, for being here. And I try to think beyond myself. And I also think about how can I live aligned with my values? How can I leave this world maybe a little bit better here, you know, when I'm gone? Um, because it's important. It's important to reflect on these things. And even though they're scary, it gives meaning. It gives meaning to life, to our actions, because we live in a world um, that, exploits us and profits off of making us feel like we don't have power, like we don't matter, um, like we don't have choices. And so the more we can move into a place of embodiment, empowerment, connection, social connection, connection to ourselves, community, um, that that is just really powerful. And connecting with the earth, being aware of of what we're doing, of how we're living, what, what we're creating on this planet, because we are incredible beings. You and I both know that we are powerful. Somehow, you know, we, we can create these magical experiences or we can interact with the world in this way. So allowing this hidden knowledge to really come out, um, you know, and, and be practiced and honored in, in daily life, I think is key to our, our healing and our survival. Well, you're describing the vision very, very uh, eloquently, Christine, of what we've got to be doing. And when I say we're in a battle for human imagination, we're in a battle for imagining what you just described. We, we have to have people imagining a world that's like the one you just are outlining. And my, my problem is... Uh, you have to have a near-death experience to be able to like notice that. Um, and a lot of people are having NDEs. I mean, there's a lot of activity going on out there all over the world. And they're kind of like the new Jesus sometimes coming back from the death is the way some people think about them, the new missionaries. And there's people doing UFO things that say, hey, you know, this thing isn't quite the way it should be. Uh, but I keep hearing stories of the 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 interplanetary visitors are, are frightened of human beings because we're so violent. I mean, I mean I've, I've gotten that a couple of times um, that 
that we, we are a pernicious race of vermin, said Jonathan Swift uh, in Gulliver's Travels. That, that, is, that stays with me. There's so much nastiness and has been for a long time in yes. human beings. Uh, pretty much the only ones that kill each other um, and just for the fun of it um, or for land or power or something. They're, to me, it's still awareness self-awareness it's still self-reflection it's still activating the self-observer meditation can help with that but it's usually self-involved not about other people so what i like to ask uh, my patients sometimes and myself too christine what do you think i think of you oh goodness i don't know <laughs> well you don't have to answer that question it's a hard mm-hmm. question because mm-hmm. in asking that question you have to think about me and how how i represent you mm-hmm. or you have to think about mm-hmm. me and how you represent me and th- those things we those are hard things just to get into your own mind and think about christine and then think about you in the specifics of how you how you think about me but that's the that's a way to begin to say we have to think about our impact on the other person yeah. and narcissism which is endemic now uh, just all over the place uh, mm-hmm. particularly notable among white male christian fundamentalists but it's also out there a lot anyway I, I, I'm just amazed at the narcissism in some women that I run into. I didn't expect that. Uh, and, and, and it's there too. It's that how do we get people out of their own minds to examine their own minds so they can see their own minds, so they can develop a vision like the one you're describing and begin to think about my mind, my mind. Mm-hmm. What about this one? You got me. You got a mind. I got a mind. But maybe, and you are doing that so wonderfully with your friend, your that you've never met, sharing minds, and that that's a form of love that uh, I'd I'd like to be able to expand what we mean by love instead of uh, I love you and you love me, hiding above the tall oak tree. Please let the moon that shines on me shine on the one I love. Well, that's a wonderful, I love romance, but it ain't the only one. And there, and you've, you're describing a really, a really fine one with your friend uh, and keep going. It's like agape. Remember agape. You know, the different types of love that, that are, Yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of loves and uh, it's Mm -hmm. just that's not demanding and ownering oh i Mm -hmm. own that's 50 songs and even now uh i own you they're still around that it doesn't work too well either but anyway we've come to the end of uh our cartoon here um christine uh you're very articulate in what you say oh thank you you're welcome. I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure to hear you get going because you don't know you're doing it when you get going. So you just you you're just doing your rap, man, and it it's good. I mean, maybe it's from watching everybody else do it. Now you picked it up. I don't know, but you've picked up a lot. You're 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 a good person to interview. You have a lot of good stuff coming out of you. 
Uh, what I want to leave you with before I ask you one final question is how do we help activate this self-observer of the collective human organism? And I have a, a section of that in my book too, it's towards the end, but it's like a psychotherapy and you're joining it, you're in it, you're, you're in it, a psychotherapy for the collective human organism. You have just uh, made yourself a part of that effort. Uh, just because you are part of that effort from what you're saying. So how do we do that? I'm not asking you to answer that question, but that's what we were trying to get to. But as we end, and I think of you in Tucson, Arizona, where my old friend Andrew Weil uh, still is hanging around. Uh, we were interns together in San Francisco. Oh, how uh, neat. 1968. So we still keep a little contact. Uh, I visited him um, in his summer place, uh, off Vancouver Island, uh, in a place called Cortez Island, a great place. He's, uh, he's done a lot since those days, that's for sure. And he's, he's just down the street from you somewhere. Oh, the streets cool. are pretty long, too, yes. I know that. He's somewhere around there. He's somewhere around there. So I can imagine where you were. I've been there a couple of times. So tell us about you and Tucson. Who, tell us something more personal about, about Christine Foley. Oh, something a bit more personal. Well, um, I really, since my near-death experience, which involved um, a dream of a Native or Indigenous woman, I have been incredibly drawn to Native American spirituality and teachings. So um, one reason why I'm attracted to Arizona and Tucson is the history of, you know, of Indigenous people. There's the Pasqua Yaqui tribe, Tahoto Odom tribe here and just want to acknowledge, you know, we're living on their land. There's um, incredible history here. Um, I want to acknowledge my teachers in California, Wolf and Lisa Wapipa. They've just led me on an incredible journey. They've been so kind to open up, you know, these teachings, the spiritual knowledge um, that many people, you know, died trying to preserve and practice. Um, and you know, it's been incredibly healing for me out of everything I've done, you know, um, in my life to try to heal from the physical, uh, you know, illness, the, some of the emotional traumas that I've been through, um, the, the Native American teachings and, and healing ceremonies have just been absolutely profound. So I just, you know, extend my gratitude to them to being open to including non-Native people in their ceremonies um, and doing it in a way that really honors their traditions. Um, and tying that back into what you said a moment ago, how can we begin to self-reflect and heal? I think acknowledging, you know, the collective shadow as well, you know, acknowledging the history um, of, of slavery, the Native American genocide and enslavement, um, acknowledging, you know, the difficult things um, that we've inherited in this world. That, that's a huge part of being spiritually mature. Um, and again, does it have to be, um, you know, a, a story of, of guilt and blame, but it's, it's opening a dialogue because you can't begin to heal if you aren't, are in denial that there's a problem or you aren't willing to acknowledge that there's a problem or look at it. You know, in order to heal and solve a problem, we have to be present with it. And oftentimes, this is what I observe in therapy, that that solution just naturally emerges. 
So having the courage, like you said, individually and collectively to stay present with uncomfortable feelings, to not dissociate, um, project, blame, go into denial, but recognizing, you know, there's a piece of everyone in the world within us. You know, there's there's that kernel of, of the victim, both the victim and the oppressor within each one of us. So being aware of all these different parts um, and, you know, bringing in compassion, just compassion, humility for oneself. Um, and then that extends to others. It's still, uh, it, those are all what I share very much with you and you articulate it really wonderfully. And it's gotta be said more and more often what you're just saying there. When I hear you, you're still talking like if somebody came into your office and they got a problem. <laughs> I'm talking about the ones who don't, who don't show up. I'm talking to ones who don't show up. Mm. I'm talking about the people who think uh, denial is a river in Egypt. Uh, it, they don't even, they don't know they're doing it. Uh, I'm talking about my brother uh, who, uh, who loves to be sarcastic and his son says he that's what he does and he doesn't know he shouldn't be doing it and then if he's if i bring it up to him which i did he won't talk to me anymore it's like why do you keep doing it to me and you shouldn't be talking to me like that uh finally after a lot of time i finally was able to say something to him about him but he it's still he shuts down the way my mother did it's that narcissism criticism and it's a it's a it's a narcissistic injury to him and he won't look even he's got a nice self-aware uh partner and sh she can't get him to do it there is a tremendous resistance to self-reflection to looking at the world the way Absolutely. the way you're talking about looking just looking at themselves in their shadows because the narcissism says they're just right everything is just the way it is so i'm that's what I'm looking at. And it starts with like the collective human organism saying, I, I have a problem, like an alcoholic. I have a problem. I am greedy and I want to exploit the world for my benefit. And I know that's something I need to change. Just like I'm an alcoholic and I've got to change. We're, we're drunk on our own power. And that's... Beautiful that's got to be said and then by the people so how do you get them to so that they want to go to therapy is the kind of like what we're talking about here but we'll we'll, we'll leave one more comment though that's so good i love the way you brought that in because it really does apply and it's kind of like um you know enabling many of us might enable you know these behaviors we might turn a blind eye because it's just easier because that person has power. Um, so changing the way we relate to these power dynamics and also, you know, um, changing our value system. I mean, in a way this past, you know, administration and the language and the antics, it's the perfect representation. It's a perfect mirror for us. And so are we in, in a, a place where we're moving beyond that, where we're no longer going to be saying, wow, this person is a great leader with, you know, these qualities. Maybe it's going to be someone who is more giving, more um, empathetic, more, you know, self-sacrificing in some ways, less narcissistic, you know, because I think that gets boring, you know, it gets tiring. 
it's it's not fun to be around someone who's just narcissistic all the time Trump, at Trump, all. Trump is love for it. And that's the problem because he's doing what a lot of other people want to be able to do. But we can leave that. Okay. We, we can we can leave that that part of it. And what um, I'm trying to say to people who are, who will listen to me about my book is that buying this book is not only for your benefit so that you can see how coincidences can be helpful to you, but it's a political statement. It's saying to um, the current worldview which, which science holds that you're not thinking about this right anymore, and that these ideas here are telling you that we have to change our view of the world. It isn't the way you think it is. And coincidences help us see the newer way. Well, Christine, uh, thank you for a really wonderful conversation. I mean, you know, you and I haven't really had a chance to yap like this, where it was mostly about me, you taking pictures of me. And anyway, I've seen you around a cafe, but you're really good at talking this stuff. And, and your Native American connections, I'm so glad to hear, um, because it's, they're getting you out to the way we need to think about it. Yeah. And we need to put Native American kind of thinking together with technological uh, and blend them because the technology can be useful and figuring out like this can be a way of doing it. But mm -hmm. well, another time, somehow um, I want to see your I want to see your movie, want to see what what, hap what what you do with it. Uh, and somehow uh, we're going to have to do something together again because you've got the right ideas uh, for me. And um, I don't know what the Coincidence Project is going to put on seminars. Um, well, I'll let you know. I'll uh, see what, you, what, what you're available to be able to do. But Sounds meanwhile, I, I thank you very much for being on the show and your delight. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me to your coincidence project. I'm just thrilled to be a part of that too. You're welcome. So, all right. Take care. Have a good weekend. And stay well. You as well. This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a Cosmic consciousness